Okay, Ephesians 5, verse uh, 21. The Bible said, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to, unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So all men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for another opportunity to be here. Thank you, Lord, for the Word of God and for this privilege that we have to preach your Word. Now, Lord, I recognize that I am as any other human being, and without the power of God, I would not attempt to do anything tonight. Lord, I look to you. I believe the promise that you would be with me, that you would help me, that you would... Uh, give me understanding, and give me power, God, and I believe that, and I ask for it tonight, and I pray you'd use me for your glory and speak to my own heart and the hearts of each one that's here this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, the practical uh, message here in this scripture has been preached many times. I've preached it on the relationship of a husband and his wife and and how the husband is to treat his wife, and how the wife is to treat her husband, and, and the very, uh, very practical information that is given. But if that is all that you get out of this, this uh, Scripture, then I think you miss the main object of the Scripture. The main thing that the Lord is trying to teach us is the relationship of Christ and the church. And uh, that's what we're going to address tonight is that uh, aspect of this scripture. And I'm speaking tonight on the perfect church. Well, you say there is no such a thing as a perfect church. And someone said, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it because then it'll be imperfect. Uh, but uh, uh, we'd like to look beyond the imperfections tonight and, and see what God would have to teach us uh, about this perfect church. Now, this perfect church has a perfect pastor. Wouldn't you like to have a perfect preacher, boy, <laughs> I'll tell you. Uh, I don't know. About everybody calls me preacher anymore. And uh, even, even people that are unsaved call me preacher. <laughs> I, I can go into a store and if they know me, they call me preacher. Uh, so that's kind of 
uh, kind of become my title, I guess. I even call myself preacher. If I call someone, I say this is a preacher. So, uh, but I'm not perfect. <laughs> I wish I was. I'm going to be one day. But the church I want to talk about tonight has a perfect pastor. And the Bible said here in verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now the Lord used the home, the, the Christian home, to illustrate the relationship that Christ has to his church. And he said that Christ is the head of the church, or in other words, he's the pastor. Jesus is the chief shepherd. I am the, uh, you know, little shepherd. He's the chief shepherd of, of his church. And uh, we find that in, uh, in several scriptures. Now notice he said he is the head of the church. We need to always recognize that. Jesus is the head of the church. And I just, I just represent him. He's given us, this is his book. And uh, he's given us a book to go by and a guideline to go by. Now, the Bible said in Acts 20, 28, he says, feed the church of God. So the church belongs to the Lord. And then in Matthew 16, 18, he tells Peter there upon this rock, I will build whose church? My church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the church belongs to Jesus. Church doesn't belong to the preacher. Church doesn't belong to the people. People say, I put my money in and I paid for that church. Church doesn't belong to you. And the money wasn't yours anyway. Uh, the money's God's. If I give my tithe to the Lord, I'm not giving my money. That's God's money. In fact, all the money I have is God's. He just lets me use it. He's good enough to, uh, to give me what I need. In fact, gives me more than I need. And, and uh, not only do I have what I need, but I have a lot more than that. And I praise him. But the church is Jesus. The church belongs to the Lord. And I want to keep that in my mind. That when I, as a, as a little shepherd, that God's called me to look after his church to look after his people. And he's a perfect preacher. He's a perfect pastor. I'm not, but he is. I represent one that is. And the Bible said in 1 Peter 5. How about turn there and look at that scripture. 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. and verse 3 and 4. He gives some... Uh, uh, well, let me read verse 1 because uh, see the clear picture here. 1 Peter chapter 5, page 13, 15, verse 1, the elders, talking about the preachers, which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now here's what he says to do. This is what Jesus is saying. He said, the church is mine now and you that are, uh, you that are under shepherds, what I want you to do. He said, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for a filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Don't do it because you have to. Do it because you want to. 
and because God's called you to do it. Not for money, but do it for a ready mind. Now he said, I want you to feed. The Lord said, now the church is mine, and I want you to feed them. It's just like a, a shepherd owned a bunch of sheep, and he couldn't look after all of them. We know God could very well do it, but the Lord's chosen to do things this way. And uh, he hires some people to help him. And he said, now I want you to feed these sheep. That's what the Lord tells us to do. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd, there it is, shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fails not away. And that's what I want. I want to... I want to do my best for Jesus. I want to look after his sheep, look after his church, and feed them and do what he's instructed me to do. Now again, notice he said that it's God's heritage in verse 3. The church belongs to Christ. And the Bible teaches uh, that uh, this preacher, this perfect pastor, Jesus, Deuteronomy 32, 4, said he is the rock, his work is perfect. Now you can't improve on perfection. Anything that I've ever done, I, you know, somebody could do better, maybe I could have done better. But you can't improve on what God, his work is perfect. Anything that God's ever done, nobody could do any better. Man, I think of the human body and, and, uh, and how it works and all and and uh, man's been studying all these centuries trying to understand it and still don't understand it, much less being able to make it. He can't even understand how it all works. God's fixed it so it works well. And of course, sin has, uh, you know, affected all of us. But I believe when God created Adam and Eve that if they had not sinned, they'd be alive today. They would have never been sick a day in their life and they would have been perfect specimens of God's handiwork. And if sin had not cursed this earth, it would be no evidence of corruption anywhere because God created it right. It was very good. You can't improve on what God does. His work is perfect. That's the reason God saves you forever. And when he saves you, you can't get any more saved than saved. <laughs> Someone asked, what's the difference between being saved and really saved? <laughs> uh, well, uh, we use that terminology. People who say they're saved sometime are not really saved, but really, uh, there's no such a thing as being partly saved. Well, I'm, I'm uh, now I know as far as the body, the body isn't saved, and that sense we're partly saved. But as far as the work that God has done, the work in our soul is a perfect work, an eternal work, it can't be improved on. It's done right and forever. His work is perfect. 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-one 31 said, As for God, his way is perfect. Everything he does is perfect, and God's way is always perfect. My way is not always right, but God's way is always right. My desire is to find God's way and walk in that way, and I'll be doing all right. His way is perfect. Then the Bible teaches in Psalm 19, 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Talking about the Word of God. His Word is perfect. He said the law of the Lord is perfect. 
Now, a lot of people don't believe that, do they? But I believe it. I believe the Word of God's perfect. If I didn't believe that, I'd, uh, I'd just quit preaching. I believe that, what I, that when I give the Word of God, I'm giving something that's perfect. He is, he is the law of the Lord, he said. His Word is perfect. Then Romans 12, 2, he talks about, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Oh, my. That's what we ought to have, have, uh, be desirous of. The perfect will of God. Not just doing something for God, but doing the perfect will of God. To spend every day doing the will of God. That's what he's talking about. And that's the way we ought to want to live. Well, I want to serve God, so I go to church every time the church has service. And, and uh, I sing, you know, and, and uh, I do the perfect will of God. Maybe so, maybe not so. Uh, the perfect will of God. I mentioned this morning as I was preaching the message there. And, and uh, uh, the influence, two preachers that had, that's had more influence on my life or had more influence in those days. First of all was Mac Hodge who pointed me to Jesus and showed me the way to God and I was saved. And the second man who's now dead, in fact, Mac is dead in heaven and Bill Keller who was pastor of the church I preached at this morning and he's dead and with the Lord been there many years now. And uh, Mac Hodge showed me the way of salvation. Brother Bill Keller showed me the how to know the perfect will of God for my life. And and uh, brought me to that, or God used him to help me understand the, what Romans 12, 1 and 2 involved, and uh, giving of yourself completely to Christ, and say, Lord, I'm all yours, not just to be saved and miss hell, but I'm yours, body, soul, and spirit, and you can do with me whatever you want to do. And then, and only then, was I able to determine the perfect will of God for my life. And I do not believe until a person is willing to make that total surrender to God that a person will ever be able to determine the will of God because read it, Romans 12, 1 and 2. He beseeches us to present our body a living sacrifice. But the will of God is perfect and that ought to be our desire to spend one's entire life this is God's will for my life. That's what we ought to be desirous to do. And then the Bible teaches, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that his strength is made perfect in weakness, even in our weakness. God's strength is perfect. And, uh, you know, God can do no wrong. I'm glad I serve a God like that. Uh... A God that cannot sin. Someone preached that, uh, that when Jesus was tempted of the devil in Matthew chapter 4, that he could not sin. I don't believe that. I believe he was impeccable. I do not believe that Jesus Christ could sin because he was God. He could do no wrong. Bible said, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. It's impossible for God to lie, and Jesus was God. Don't tell me Jesus could sin. I don't believe it. 
I don't believe it. I believe he's perfect. And always has been, always will be. Now Jesus, Jesus can do no wrong. And I represent one like that. It was this, this man this past Thursday. And he was telling about some, some uh, church members and so forth that, he, that had uh, disappointed him. And that happens. And my, you know, if you could just go out there and knock on doors, how important it is to live for God. How important it is to do right. But I tried to emphasize to him, I'm not asking you to put your faith in church members, in preachers, in me. But in Jesus, he'll never fail you. He'll never disappoint you. It's impossible for him to do it. Isn't that wonderful? God can't lie. There is no chance that God would ever change his mind about taking me to heaven. That's impossible. He's already promised he'd do it. You say, where do you say that? Well, he said he'd save me if I'd call on him, and I did, and he did. And I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven. He promised he'd take me, and he can't lie. He can't say, well, I was just kidding. <laughs> I've changed my mind. <laughs> no, he can't do that. We have a perfect, a perfect Lord. Now, the Bible said, 1 Peter 2, 22, did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Hebrews 4, 15, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So we know Jesus is perfect. And he is, he is the head of the church. And if he's the head of the church, he's the chief shepherd. Then we have a perfect pastor, don't we? Yes, we do. Now don't go out and say that I'm perfect. <laughs> or I said I was perfect. No, I didn't say that. But Jesus is. Now, perfect preaching. Well, boy, it'd be good to have a perfect pastor. It always preach perfect every time. And uh, sometimes I make mistakes. It's a nice thing about having a family. You won't make one but what you get told about it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I guess it helps you. Uh, but uh, perfect preaching helps get rid of the pride, you know. You think you're doing, doing all right. And they say, you know what you say? <laughs> oh, my. Perfect preaching. Now the Bible said in verse 26 that he might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word. Now, the word of God's perfect. Jesus, Jesus is the head of the church. He's the chief shepherd. He's the chief pastor, if you will, of the church. And he is perfect He's given us a rule book to go by. He's given all these little bitty shepherds a rule book to go by. And his book is perfect. And that's, he says here, he sanctifies and cleanses it by the word of God. He don't sanctify and cleanse it with my ability and my personality and all that. He does it with the word of God. Listen, you know, the more I serve God, the more I understand that this word of God is what does the job. That's why when you witness, you give them God's Word. If you don't give them God's Word, you ain't give them anything to do anything, to cleanse them, to wash them. The Word of God will do that, and it's perfect. James 1.25 talks about the perfect law of liberty. 
Whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty, continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man should be blessed in his deed. The Word of God, he's talking about the Word of God, and the Word of God, according to that verse, is perfect. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, 10 said, When that which is perfect is come. And he's talking again there about the Word of God that James talks about. Uh, and so, what I say sometimes is not perfect, you know. Uh, and uh, my English sometimes is not so good. And... and uh, when I was in school, I really loved math. And I'd done all right in English, but I didn't particularly like it. And you can tell, can't you? <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, sometimes I get my tongue tangled up. Like one fellow, he, you know, he, he got tangled up and said, you know, his tongue got ahead of his mind or whatever. And he said something and really made a mess. And, and uh, he tried to straighten it out, and he said, I got my tang tumbled up. And he made, he made a bigger mess of it. But you know, the Word of God's perfect. And when I read the Word of God, I'm glad I'm reading perfect words. When I give, when I read the Scripture, I'm doing perfect preaching as far as what I'm giving from the Word of God. Now, Psalm 12 says this, Psalm 12, and verse 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. That's why I believe the King James Bible is the Word of God. Because if it isn't the Word of God, where is the Word of God at? That's the question. He said, the words of the Lord are pure. They're pure like silver purified. And he said, God would preserve them when? For how long? From this generation forever. He said, there'll never be a time when, I won't, when we won't have the word of God. It'll be there. Now, I believe we've got it. And that subject, uh, a, whole lot of, a whole lot more preachers don't believe that than what do, but here's one that believes it. I believe God has preserved his word for you and I. Don't you believe that? We have a perfect word of God. And when you give out the word of God, you don't have to have any doubt about it. It's perfect. You can give it out and say, this is the absolute infallible word of the living God. You can believe that. Now, how important is that? You say, well, I don't, doesn't matter that much. Is it important? How important is it? Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. And Ephesians 2 says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that obviously says it is a gift of God. We're saved by grace through faith. Faith. And where does that faith come from? From the Word of God. That's the reason the devil hates this Bible. Because this Word gives faith, and the faith is the channel through which God gives grace and saves the sinner. That's how important it is. And when I give this Word of God out, I'm giving out something that will produce faith. 
It'll produce real faith, real Bible faith that'll bring salvation. And John 1, 1 said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus, the Word of God, is the Word of Jesus. And He is embodied in this Word. He was embodied in the flesh of the body, but He's embodied in the Word of God. Now, Matthew 7, 29, the Bible said He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And when Jesus spoke, He spoke with authority that it was the Word of God. John 7, 46, they, they said, Never a man spake like this man. So, perfect pastor, perfect preaching, the Word of God is perfect. And then, perfect people. Boy, perfect church has perfect preaching, preaches perfect sermons. <laughs> to perfect people. <laughs> Are we perfect? Yes. We are. Now don't turn me off till I explain the full thing. Yes, we are perfect. Now Lotus Way says again in verse 27, he said he washes them, sanctifies them, washes them by the word of God. For what purpose? That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now the Bible teaches when we're presented to Jesus Christ, we'll be presented perfect. Now how's that possible? You say, well, I'm not perfect. I do wrong. I must not be perfect. I sin. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John uh, 3, 9. This scripture used to really bother me. But God help me understand it. 1 John 3, 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now the common interpretation of this is the practice of sin. For the word commit, he that is who serves born of God does not commit sin, meaning practice sin. But then to go on down, notice he said, he said to him, and he cannot sin. Didn't say he cannot practice sin, cannot commit sin. He cannot sin. Because why? Because he is born of God. Now I'll tell you why this troubled me. Look over in verse uh, chapter 1 of 1 John and verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10. If we say that we have not sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That, that chapter says, if you say you don't have any sin, you're lying and you calling God a liar. You're making God out to be a liar too because he says you do sin. Turns right around in chapter 3 and says you don't sin. If you're born of God, you can't sin. Which one's right? Which one we're going to throw, cut out and throw away? Contradiction, right? All oh, the Bible haters, they like to get a hold of that. Ah, see there, the Bible's full of contradictions. 
No, there's no contradiction in the Bible. The problem is contradiction in our own uh, understanding. Now, I'll tell you how to understand this. If you go to John chapter 3, the Lord carries on the conversation, very familiar there with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, he comes and begins to carry on a conversation. We know you're uh, sent from God and all this. No man can do these miracles. And Jesus says, except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of heaven. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he the second time into his mother's womb and be born? He that is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Now I want to ask you tonight, when you got born again, what was it that got born again? It wasn't your body, it wasn't your flesh. Because you got up and you had the same flesh before you got saved, right? What you see tonight, what you're looking at, was born of the flesh. I had a fleshly birth. And I've still got that flesh that I was born with. But I don't, there's something else, there's something different happened inside since that time I got born of the flesh. When I was 10 years old, I got born of the Spirit. I had another birth. My fleshly birth, I was born of Claude and Mary Silver. My spiritual birth, I was born by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And I had a new birth. I was born again. Whosoever is born of God, that's the new man inside of us. Colossians, Ephesians talks about the new man. That's the new man. And that part that is born of God don't ever sin. From the day God saved me at 10 year old, that new, that part of me that's been born of God has never sinned and can't sin. That's why, that's why when a Christian dies, they can go straight to heaven. Because all the sin's gone. I'm never going to be, listen, I'm never going to face judgment for my sin. That was all placed on Jesus. So when you look at me, you see an imperfect person, but if you could see as God sees, you'd see a perfect person. Because in Christ, in Christ we're righteous, right? We're declared righteous. The book of Romans, we've been studying in Sunday school. We're righteous in Him. We're justified in Him. In Christ, He sees me perfect. And one day, thank God, He's coming back. He's going to give me a, He's going to finish the work He started. He's going to finish redemption. He's going to give me a glorified body. And I'm going to be presented to Him. And the Holy Spirit is going to present a church that is perfect. A church that has been washed soul, spirit, and body completely and forever. So we are perfect in a sense. We're, we're partly perfect and partly not perfect. We sin in the flesh. We have a fleshly mind. We sin in the flesh, but we don't sin. The, the new man inside does not sin because God said we cannot sin because he is born of 
of God. Because God can't do anything wrong. The Bible said whatever God does, it's forever. You can't improve on what God does. He can't do something imperfect. That's why I, can't, I don't believe you can lose your salvation. That would be an imperfect work. God, that's impossible for God to do. He can't partly save you, halfway save you. Halfway justifies. No, we're justified in Jesus Christ. If I had time, we'd go into through the book of Romans. Been doing that in our adult two Sunday school class and show you how the whole world is condemned. Romans 1, the Gentile is guilty before God. Romans 2, the religious Jew is guilty before God. Romans 3 says the whole world is guilty before God. But we can be justified by faith. He says you're lost, you're sinners, you're, you're ungodly, but I can make you perfect people through Christ. What does the Bible teach in Romans 10? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. When God saves you and when God saved you and I, He took all of our sins. And he put them over on Jesus. And he took that righteousness, that perfection of Jesus, and he gave it to us. And we're righteous, we're perfect. If you want to use the word, we're perfect. And every time you encounter the word perfect in the Bible, it does not mean righteousness and, and sinlessness. Sometimes it means spiritual maturity and, and that. You need to understand it, read it in the context. But when God talks about justification, he talks about righteousness and the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the perfection that only God can give you. Aren't you glad to be a part member of a perfect church? <laughs> well, Maranatha still got a ways to go, but uh, these old bodies got a ways to go. We've been born into the family of God and we've been born into a perfect church with a perfect preacher Jesus with a perfect Bible he's given us and with perfect Christians that's going to be perfect in the flesh also one day. Let's bow our heads.